Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about Hope and our weekend worship opportunities, visit HopeChurchMemphis.com. Today's message comes from community engagement pastor, Chad Johnson. Today, though, I get the honor and the joy to answer this easy question. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really easy. Why, if heaven is guaranteed, do I give my whole life on earth? Or said another way, if I'm saved from hell, why does anything else matter? Now, like these questions that we addressed earlier in this series, they helped us reapproach or re reframe how we understand worshiping together or praying to our God. I also hope as we unpack the question today that we get to see not only who Christ is as our Savior, but elevate our understanding of who he is not only to us, but to the world. So let's begin. You ever grow up uh, thinking you knew something? Maybe you learned it when you were a kid and you just kept doing it on into adulthood and then find out later that you were wrong? You ever experienced that before? Is that just me, maybe? Well, I had a friend in college um, and anytime someone would bother him, he would always say, quit bartering me. You heard me correctly, barter, not bother. Now I thought it was an accent thing at first or maybe I just misunderstood it, so I didn't say anything, I left it alone. And then later on that week, he said the same thing again. Quit bartering me. And I was like, what? You're not trading anything here. What are you talking about? I'm trying to figure this thing out here. So maybe I'm thinking, well, maybe he's being just weird or funny or silly. No, no, no. I heard it the third time. Quit bartering me. And then this quote popped up in my head from the famous Princess Bride. You keep saying that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. You ever have that experience? So I finally confronted him and I go, hey, <clears throat> you're saying barter but you're meaning to say bother. Do you understand that? And he was a little taken back, but embarrassed mostly. Because I've said this my entire life and no one has ever corrected me. I said, you pitiful dude. You said this in your entire life in all these circles and no one has ever told you that's the wrong word. And then I thought, you know what? If someone really was trying to bother him and they found out this little secret, the perfect way to bother him for the rest of their life is not to correct him, right? These are terrible friends. <laughs> they were cruel. Well, I don't wanna be cruel to you guys today. We often say words that we think we understand, but we need to unpack a little bit more. So I wanna to share to you why I think this question might pop up or you may have ever asked this question. But it starts with a different question. What is the gospel? You see, we think we can answer this, and most of us probably can. So do me a favor right now, just in your head, or if you've got a pen or a pencil, go ahead and write on your bulletin and just define the gospel. Look at one or two sentences in your head. Right, for me, <clears throat> you know, it might have something to do with Jesus dying for our sins. It might have something to do with him being the son of God, him defeating our sins and being resurrected. And mostly it might have something to do with me living with him in eternity and heaven. Now, if that's been you for anything, maybe that's how you answered it, right? But I, I'm concerned that if that's our only way that we answer the gospel, we may be saying the gospel and not really know what it fully means. You see, the gospel means good news, right? And salvation is great news, but that's only part of the news. Because let's be honest, if we share what I just shared uh, to you guys, to anybody who is really questioning if there's life after death or if they have sin in their life, it's not news, it's no, it's no news at all. So let's look at what Jesus actually says the gospel is, what the good news is. It's in Mark 1, 14 through 15. After the arrest of John, John the Baptist, Jesus went to Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. The time is fulfilled, he said, and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. Did you hear it? Did you see what Jesus said? 
It's our first point for today. The gospel is the kingdom has come. It is near. Now, before you call me a heretic or write a bad letter to Rufus about this message, bear with me. Let me explain. All right, let me be clear. Whatever you wrote or whatever you were thinking in your head, if it was anything like I said the gospel was, it's 100% correct. I am not taking that away from the gospel. But it's, it's not the full gospel. Culturally, we have a tendency to just stop there. And we kind of go, great, God saved me through Jesus Christ. Woohoo! Now I'm not going to hell. And we just stop there. But if we've done that, or if we do that, we only have the first part of the gospel. See, our salvation story is a huge part. It might even be the heart of the gospel. But there's more to this good news. Let me give you a little history here. In the ancient Greco or Roman or Persian era, uh, if there was a battle going on with kingdoms, there was usually a courier that was running from the battle back to the kingdom to give them an update, right? And this courier would be running from the battle to the kingdom to kind of give them, hey, it's calamity. We are, we are, we're dying, we're losing, we're not making it. Or they're bringing good news, good tidings, and they say, we're winning, we have won. So this courier is getting to deliver this message. So when we see Jesus say that the kingdom is near, the good news is this. He's not only acting as a courier, he is the king himself present going, the kingdom has come and it is still coming and it hasn't been fully realized because I am here. That's the gospel. So the view of I'm saved and I'm waiting to cash my check into heaven is not accurate in Jesus's perspective. It's actually I'm saved and I'm now a part of this kingdom to go out and tell others that the kingdom has come. So our salvation, our giving our sins to Christ, that he died on the cross for us, it's our adoption into his family, it's our keys into this kingdom. But here's why this is even better news. Because when we're saved into the kingdom, this kingdom has new laws, it has better laws. This kingdom has a better king, a better ruler. So to that person who doesn't necessarily know if they have sin in life or doesn't necessarily know if there's life after death, it's good news to them too because it doesn't take long for them to look into this old kingdom, this world, and realize how broken and dying it is. It is good news to know that we have a new king in town and his name is Jesus. You see, whether you realize it or not, we are living in this old world, the law of the old world. And I'm not talking about democracy or how countries run. I'm talking about this worldly kingdom, right? And there's a way that seems right to this world, but leads to death and more brokenness. So the good news is we now are a part of a kingdom that holds us accountable to a new law, a better law, one that leads to life on this earth, not just in heaven. So some of us might be saying, okay, great, Chad, you've proven your point. The gospel isn't just Jesus died for my sins, right? He's bringing in a new kingdom, awesome. But that still doesn't explain why I should give my whole life. You're right, it doesn't answer that yet. But I think it's because it's in the names that we call Jesus, because names mean something, right? And if we're not careful, we're calling Jesus something we may not necessarily know what it means and we're not acting like that title in our own life. So our first point is this. It's one that Christians most adore, most love about their faith, and they know it's this. When I give Christ my sin, he is my savior. It's an accurate and it's an appropriate title. It's one of the first titles, actually, that he's given in the book of the Gospel of Luke. 
In Luke 2, 10 through 11, it says, but the angel said to them as they're announcing his birth, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Do you see that phrase again? Good news, gospel, I bring you good news. See, it is good news that he is our savior, but it's not the only news about him. Because what I have seen, at least in my experience, is that <clears throat> when we only call Jesus our savior, we have a tendency to mimic his gifts and not who he is in being a savior. For example, if Jesus uh, saves us from our sin and, and, and gives us freedom, we begin to live freely. That's a beautiful thing. And if he turns our sorrow into joy, we begin to live joyously. That's also a blessing. And even if he takes our brokenness and he makes us whole again, we get to walk with our head up and our shoulders back because we have new dignity in the identity of Christ. But we can't just stop there. We can't live out just mimicking his gifts. We need to mimic our savior, which means we're also mimicking stepping into the lives of others and pointing them to Christ, not his gifts. Those are just a fruit of who he is. So don't get stuck mimicking the gifts but mimic who he is. So others get to see your savior in you. But this Luke verse shares another title. Did you catch it towards the end? Christ the Lord. That's our second point. When I give Christ my whole life, he is my Lord. You know, we call Jesus Lord, but I don't necessarily know if it plays out fully in our life. Often in scripture, Lord means, uh, it's usually when a king has chosen a region or a person assigned over a region and they called them lords, right? That Lord would extend what the king wanted into that area because the king couldn't be everywhere at once. And let's be honest, across history, there haven't been some great lords. They weren't always doing what the king wanted them to do. But we have a beautiful story because we have a beautiful Lord who is always about his father's business. Now, the best way for us to really understand that in today's time is if a uh, landlord, right? If you've ever rented or you're renting your home or your apartment or your residence, wherever you are, you're dealing with a landlord. Now, I remember as a kid, if I ever heard landlord come up, it usually had something to do with my parents maybe not being able to make the rent and we might get evicted. Or worse, as a kid, if my brother and I had a grand idea to throw bottle rockets into the toilet and explode it, I wasn't just worried about my, my parents, I was worried about the landlord. Why? Because the toilet, we didn't own, it was a part of the house, because we didn't own the house. So the landlord could have been upset with us because we're damaging their property. We could have been evicted. But, here we are, landlord. If, you, if you're experiencing a landlord, you don't, you don't own the property, you just live in it. And in fact, you can't do anything in the property without the permission of the landlord. So I wonder how many of us are happy to give our sins to Christ as our savior, but not happy to give our lives to Christ as our Lord. See, there's a tough verse later on in Luke that should give us pause of contemplation. In fact, it's even labeled the cost of discipleship. It's in Luke 14, 27. And it says, and whoever does not carry this cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is wrapping up a teaching of a contrast of how we love others versus how we love him. And he is challenging all who are here to consider this. Hey, you are, uh, you're happy to lay down your sins at my cross, but are you willing to pick up your cross and follow me? Am I really your Lord? It certainly gives us a better understanding when we're thinking of his lordship in our lives, when we think about our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul's writing to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have received as a gift from God, and that you are not your own property? You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then, honor and glorify God with your body. If Christ is the owner of our body, the Lord of our life, and the spirit lives in us, is he not the landlord, the Lord of our whole body and life? So in the same way that one cannot do anything in their home without permission of their landlord, when we call Jesus our Lord, do we really ask his permission for the choices in our life about ourselves? You know, there's a saying that's popular. Maybe you've heard it before. Um, it's, uh, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Y'all ever said that before? I, I, don't lie. Usually we say that when we try to get around something uh, that we know we should do, but we'd, we want to do something else, right? How many of us have played that game with Jesus? How many of us have tried to say that about our spiritual life? I wonder if is it, is it because that we see Jesus only as our savior, because we know he has an abundant amount of grace but we forget that he's our Lord. So he has the power and authority to evict us. My experience has been that I give some of my life to Christ, but not all of it. Now, hey, Jesus, you can take this part, but this part right here, this is mine. You can trust me with this, right? It's kind of what we do, right? I might give my choice to, to, to not lie to him, but I'm not going to give him my choices, what I want to do in my relationships to him. I might, I might give him my choice to not lose my anger on someone to him, but I'm not gonna give him my choices of what I choose to indulge myself in, whether private or public. So here's the deal. If we call him Lord, we may in fact not realize what we're saying. We may in fact only want him to just be our savior because we want him to take our sin because that makes us feel good, doesn't it? But not our whole life because that takes some sacrifice. Now, don't get mad at me, right? Jesus is all up in my business, too. As I was working on this message, it was wrecking me. He was all up in my grill, and he might be in yours, too. So don't get mad at me. I'm talking to myself here, too. But I want to encourage you, if you are processing this, to take steps of seeking Christ first in your decisions. Ask permission first. Don't, don't wait for his forgiveness. Ask permission and see what his word actually says that you should do in your life, not just what you feel is right. Because the word also tells us that our heart is wicked and it will lead us astray. We need his word and his guidance. And we need to build our confidence in what he has already chosen, what is fruitful in our life. Because if not, we forget that yes, he does have grace, but he also has truth and justice. And we may look up evicted one day. Guys, I, I, I still haven't answered. I know why I give my whole life. And it's because we, we're almost there. Because if I give my whole life to God and he is, or to Christ and he is my Lord, that means I carry his characteristics with me everywhere I go. So it leads us back to the very beginning of the message. What was the gospel? The kingdom has come. Well, you can't have a kingdom without a king, and it surely ain't you and me, right? So our last point is when I give Christ my whole world, he is my king. We don't always grasp this concept because we don't live under earthly kings. But historically speaking, it was common for kings to expand their kingdom and to, to enhance their authority, their riches, perhaps even their reach. 
So here's the beauty. Each time Jesus claims a life and saves one from their sins, the kingdom has come into their lives, one life at a time. They now begin to grow in the laws of the kingdom, his word and his order, as well as the mission of the kingdom. They adopt the mission to expand it through the ends of the earth. So the kingdom goes out with me and you as kingdom people everywhere we go. Now, Lord and King are often so closely related that you see them often next to each other in scripture. But here's what I need us to hear and think about today. To call Jesus Lord is submitting your whole life to him. But to call Jesus your King is submitting your whole life's mission to him. Everything you do is expanding the kingdom in some form or fashion. <clears throat> Let me give you this example. You ever encounter someone who you could tell was just not from around here or it was different? Maybe they, they dressed differently and they kind of looked exotic or something. Or, or maybe their, their skin colors were a shade different than ours. And then when they got closer and they spoke, you knew it right off the bat. <laughs> they got a different accent, right? Now for me, I don't think I have a particularly strong southern accent. But if I go to the West or the Midwest, it doesn't take long for someone to go, uh, where are you from? <laughs> right? You sound different. And everything in me wants to go, what y'all talking about? I don't sound different, man. Y'all sound different. Just to exaggerate it. Yeah, I'm from Memphis. I know that I'm not from around here. I'm happy that I'm from Memphis. But then they begin to experience how we do things differently in the South, right? We value things differently. Like for instance, we do barbecue differently and I might argue better, no offense. Okay, but we still call our elders uh, sir and ma'am occasionally, right? And, and mamas or grandmamas cooking means more to me than just filling my stomach. It fills my soul. And our dances and our songs, they, they communicate something to us. They express something about us. All right, I'm gonna do my best. Ready, anybody? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Little jaw gritty action there, right? It tells a story about us. It's who we are. We carry that with us everywhere we go. Y'all get my point. You see, when we take the kingdom with us, when we take the king's characteristics and the kingdom's laws with us and order everywhere we go, the old kingdom, the worldly kingdom looks at us weird and they go, where are you from? Why do you act like that? Why do you care about these things? And we get to say, we're not from around here. We're made for another land. We're made for heaven, another world, one where the king reaches down to be with his people, to clean them off, removes them from their burdens and tells them that they are his always and forever. He takes the chains off of them so they're no longer, long, they're no longer locked to this world. We get to say, we know who our king is and he makes us this way. You see, when we go out into this broken and sin ravaged world, we carry our king and his kingdom with us. We are intentional about declaring that there's a new king in town and his name is Jesus. And in everything we do, our goal and our mission to expand his kingdom and his order and his love and his law in all areas of this world. So when we see injustices, we speak up and said, that's not the justice of our God. When we see a broken people in systems of oppression, we get to tell them, hey, these chains have been broken. There is freedom in our Lord. When we see the lost and spiritually sick, we get to say he has come off of his throne and stepped face to face with you to rescue you. When we get to see, when we see laws of the world that continually disregard the least of these, we get to tell them you have not been forgotten. We get to say, wait, stop. There's a new way, a better way. There's a new king, a better kingdom. That is our message. 
It's precisely the concept that Jesus tries to teach us when he gives us this tough parable in Matthew. It's a parable where Jesus is separating his people from others. He calls them goats and sheep. And the dividing factor is whether or not the sheep are bearing his kingdom in the places of the forgotten, the least of these, the strangers, those without, those who are sick, and those imprisoned. Jesus was telling them, hey, thank you for caring for me when I was in this situation. And they said, Lord, when were you ever in these situations? And he responded to them in this, in Matthew 25, 40. And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You see, this is in the New Testament, but it carries over the weight from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the kings and their people were deeply related and connected so that the way of the king was the way of the people. And if the king was in, out of sorts with God, then the people were out of sorts with God because of their relationship with the king. But if the king was in good standing with God and had a great relationship with God, the people were in good standing with God because of their relationship with their king. Here's what I'm trying to show. Our king and his people are so intimately intertwined that as we care for his people, he takes notice and receives it as his own because they are part of his kingdom. Think of it this way. When we are silent as his kingdom people and don't do the things for the least of these, his justice is silent in our world. When we are absent to the downtrodden, his mercy may be absent to his people. They may hear these people talk about savior and king, but the truth is his kingdom people look nothing and act nothing like him. They don't seem to even care at times. So they never get to see the beauty of his grace, his mercy, and his justice. I wonder if it's because the kingdom people only see Christ as their savior and not as their king. So they're stuck praying and waiting on heaven. Now don't get me wrong, prayer is good, but let's not forget that Christ himself taught us to pray heaven's presence down. In Matthew 6, 9, 10, when he's teaching us how to pray, he says this, so then this is how you should pray. Our Father who in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christ teaches us to pray for this kingdom to come and he has saved us into that kingdom. So we now as citizens of that kingdom bring this new kingdom in, the new ways of life, the new laws everywhere we go. That's our prayer and it's our action. So in many ways, the picture of heaven that we see in Revelation when heaven is fully come down, we get to be a part of that now. Read with me in Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When we see these things happening, even now, the tears and the pain, the mourning and the death, our king has equipped us to go to them and tell them, I come bearing good news. My king is here to wipe away your tears because the kingdom is near. There's a king who is here to be with you, to die for you, to fight for you, and most of all, save you from the grips and the chains of this sinful, leading world. He is a king, but not just one waiting to see you in heaven, but also one who's willing to hold you and lead you in this dying old world until then. I'm here to bring you good news. And then we get to be that good news, which means we not only pray for God to be present, but we get to be his presence and perhaps even the answer to the prayer. So why give your whole life? Because the gospel isn't about waiting for heaven. 
The gospel is about heavenly people and heavenly things happening in our homes today, in our streets, in our city, in our country, and in our world. You see, yes, Jesus is my savior, but he didn't just save me from my sins. He didn't just save me for heaven. I hope we can begin to see Jesus also in this way. He is my saving Lord over my whole life. He is my saving King over my whole life's mission. So if we're only waiting on heaven, we may not be seeing Christ as our King or our Lord. Because if we're only waiting on heaven, then the world may not experience Christ where they are because they're waiting on you. See, salvation isn't, it's just what, it's just what he gives me, but Lord and King is who he is. And I get to take, take that message into the world. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that you give us your word to, to stir us. And I pray that even now, Lord, that maybe we are sitting here and we don't call you our savior, that you stir our hearts to speak to someone, to pray to someone um, that we have in our prayer room just to talk about what it actually means to give our life to you. But God, if we do call you our savior, may you continue to remind us of where we can be your kingdom people and call you our Lord over our whole life and the King of our whole world. So we get to carry your kingdom with us. We love you and praise you in my prayer. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Openness, Musical Worship Director at Hope. If you were encouraged by today's message, hit subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship experience, visit the Hope Church Memphis YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.